Hey guys, it is an honor, a joy, and a great pleasure to be able to connect with you on a weekly basis, to listen, to learn, and to grow. My mission is to help you break free from the old, those old mindsets, mental constructs, paradigms, strongholds, whatever it is, whatever's keeping you from your fullest potential, whatever's keeping you from that point B in your life that you have envisioned with great expectation. Let me tell you, you're not here by coincidence. (laughs) This is not an accident. You are here because this is part of a master plan. It's a what I like to call a God incidence. (laughs) And I hope and pray that after you've listened to today's episode, that you will have more clarity, a greater direction for your life. As you already know, if you're a returning listener or a subscriber, I love to incorporate psychology, biology, theology, and spirituality into each and every one of the episodes. If you are a subscriber, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for your following. I truly count it an honor, and uh, and I know that you have so many choices to pick from as far as podcasts are concerned. And the fact that you've chosen Recalibrate really fills my heart with great joy. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. If this is your very first time, I hope that you get more than you expect. Would you take a few minutes at the end of this episode to rate this podcast, of course, with five stars, (laughs) of course, and would you leave us some feedback? Your feedback always helps us. It helps us to grow and to stay focused. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're going to jail, Bart. Say goodbye to the wife and tater tots. Ages three and up. It's on my box. Ages three and up. I'm not supposed to be babysitting Princess Drool. Hey, Ham! Look! I'm Picasso! Does that voice sound familiar to you? (laughs) That's Mr. Potato Head from the 1995 movie Toy Story. I don't know about you. If you're younger, you probably won't remember this. Of course, if you were around back in 1995, maybe you were a teenager, a young adult, or a parent, as I was, you might remember... Where you were at when you saw this movie for the first time, I recall I was living in Mexico. I was at the movie theater with my wife and my son, who at the time happened to be three to four years of age, almost four. And we sat there. I remember we had some popcorn, some candy, and a drink. And we were about to experience Toy Story 1. I mean, it was such a big deal. The hype was, I mean, the hype was everywhere. Everyone, including my son, wanted a Buzz Lightyear figurine. You would push some buttons, he would light up, you would push the red button, and he would say, to infinity and beyond. <laughs> and of course, if you like the little cowboy guy, the you would pull his cord, Woody, and he would say something like, you got a friend in me, you got a friend in me. Yeah, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to impress you with my, my vocal talent. <laughs> I just wanted to make it a point, try to create a visual in your mind. Interesting enough, Hasbro, which happens to own the Mr. Potato Head brand uh, for forever. I mean, I don't know how long Mr. Potato Head has been around, but it's been around longer than I have. <laughs> and Hasbro created some confusion a few weeks ago when it announced that it would drop the Mr. 
the Mr. Title, from the brand's name in order to be more inclusive, and so all could feel welcome in the potato head world. Now, of course, some say that it was a marketing strategy on Hasbro's behalf to create a certain hype and to get uh, Mr. Potato Head back on the market and get more sales. Others say that they were legitimately wanting to normalize Mr. Potato Head and make him uh, more inclusive, and uh, but that they had received a lot of negative feedback and a lot of pushback, and so they decided to keep Mr. Potato Head as Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head as Mrs. Potato Head, and aren't you happy? <laughs> Before I continue, let me preface by saying this, that this episode is not politically seasoned or motivated. I'm not going to get into politics. If you've heard me before, or if you know me personally, you understand my position. I will always speak from the perspective of a Christ-centered worldview, a biblical worldview. And so I will stand up for anything and everything that comes against the Word of God. And so, as you know, I incorporate, as I mentioned earlier, psychology, biology, theology, and spirituality. And, uh, and my father always taught me to stand up for what was right. And God's Word has always been my guiding post, has always been my lamp and my light unto my feet and unto my path. And God's Word has always been my moral compass. And so anything that goes against those uh, basic biblical principles is, is, are things that I will always uh, talk about and I will always confront. In other words, I will always speak the truth in love. A friend of mine once said, uh, speaking of the gospel, he said, truth without grace condemns, but grace without truth condones. And this is so true. So as I just mentioned, I will always share the truth in love. On top of Mr. Potato Head almost getting canned, and, and I said almost because if you're still in the market for one, you can go to the store and pick it up or order it uh, online. I'm sure you can find one. I probably won't ever get one for my kids or grandkids. I just don't see that being uh, a toy that they might enjoy having in their toy box. <laughs> but anyways... And we also had just recently celebrated uh, Dr. Seuss Week, uh, Theodore Geisel, you know, better known as Dr. Seuss. And um, I can recall I've been an educator for almost 30 years, and, and I can't recall skipping a week. Uh, I'm sorry, not a week, but skipping a year without uh, celebrating Dr. Seuss. And of course, this year was uh, quite different. Dr. Seuss uh, almost got canned too. He, let's use the right word, the most appropriate word is canceled. He almost got canceled. Of course, uh, if you look online, you'll find that he wasn't canceled, that the uh, Theodore Geisel, Dr. Seuss uh, Foundation, decided to remove six of his books uh, from production because the people out there, part of this woke culture, part of this canceling culture, the crew that's out there canceling stuff, they, they deemed it to be racist. They said that it included racist imagery and racist slurs and, and simply because it has a Chinese man who is who has lines for eyes and is carrying a bowl of rice, got chopsticks and traditional Chinese shoes, so it was completely inappropriate. So it had to be removed, of course. I remember reading that book to my students, reading it to my kids, growing up reading that 
that book as a child and to think I saw it on Mulberry Street. Super popular book. So that one got removed simply because of that. Another one of the books is, is uh, it's called If I Ran the Zoo. And, and this one depicts two men uh, to be from Africa and they're shown shirtless, shoeless and wearing grass skirts as they carry an exotic animal. And so I'm not I'm not defending Theodore Geisel because that's not my position. You know, I'm not defending his literature. All I can say is that as I've read it over the years, I had never ever seen anything racist about it. And believe me, I am quite the observer. As a psychologist, I've been trained to observe. And let me tell you, I never had a child who was offended or a parent who was bothered by the the reading of a Dr. Seuss book. But then again, like I said, I'm not defending Theodore Geisel. I'm not defending his past because, hey, let's be honest, we all have a past. We all have a past. And I was the least likely to be a, a pastor, a podcaster, a TEDx speaker, an educator. I mean, uh, you name it. I was the least likely, but yet God had different plans. So I'm glad people don't judge me based on my past, but they look at my present. You know what's crazy? What's crazy is that on one hand, we, we cancel something like Mr. Potato Head because it, uh, it offends a group of people, or we cancel... Uh, Dr. Seuss, who knows, maybe eventually Mr. Rogers, you know, <laughs> will also get canceled. Who knows? We really don't know. But on one hand, we, we cancel these kinds of things. But on the other hand, you have people, uh, other artists that are being glorified. I mean, let's just mention one, Cardi B, for instance. Now, if you're older, you're probably thinking, who on earth is Cardi B? Well, ask your kids or ask your grandkids. Oh, they'll know. <laughs> Believe me, they'll know who that is. Now, Cardi B's lyrics. I mean, her lyrics are, uh, you know, explicit to say the least, very explicit, uh, very sexual in nature. And yet uh, they have popularized her music. Just recently, Cardi B and another singer, Megan Thee Stallion, performed for the Grammys while on top of a gigantic bed. They performed to the song WAP, one of Cardi B's most popular songs. It's one of the top 10 in the nation. Everybody knows it. Everybody sings it. Can't get it out of your head. It's completely inappropriate, totally explicit very grotesque, and it sexualizes women's bodies. And these two women are up there on national TV contorting their bodies against each other in a very lesbian-type sexual act. That scene could be easily qualified as soft porn, you know, rated R, not for uh, children to watch, and yet a lot of people were watching the Grammys. Well, (laughs) simply put, 50% less people were watching the Grammys, and I am thankful for that because it really was full of filth. And I'm not saying that I watched it because I wouldn't I wouldn't give them my time but just by looking at the highlights to put this uh, content together I was uh, somewhat surprised well not really surprised but really outraged that a lot of people expose their minds to that kind of garbage so while Mr. Potato Head and Dr. Seuss and Pepe Le Pew and so many others are getting canceled and canned, these women are getting praised. And uh, that is just a sign that our culture is, is, is in a downward degenerative spiral. You see, a new culture is trying to be imposed upon the minds of many, especially children. Because as, as they repeat these ideas over and over, you know, a child will eventually see a Dr. Seuss book and run away from it because it is racist. Or see a Mr. Potato Head and not pick it up because it is not gender uh, neutral, it's gender specific. And so the repetition of these ideas will eventually form uh, ruts in our minds and create a new normal. 
And so the mind is most malleable, most pliable uh, between zero and 12. And so whatever we are uh, repeating to our children, whatever they are being exposed to, is going to form or deform their moral compass. It, it will it will have a, a long-lasting effect. Actually, after the age of 33, most people function off of their subconscious mind. It's, it's almost like being in automatic mode and autopilot. And so the psychoanalyst Carl Jung said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate or destiny. You know, a lot of people don't make the unconscious conscious. They just go through life with whatever they have been fed. And so guarding the hearts of our children is exponentially important. And the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart for it determines the course of your life. Now, we or our children can guard their hearts on their own, especially at that age. And so we as parents need to make sure that we guard the gateway to their hearts, which is their mind. And their, their minds are influenced by whatever they see or whatever they listen to. Ivan Pavlov conducted uh, several experiments with his dogs. And so Pavlov found that objects or events could trigger a conditioned response so the experiments began with Pavlov demonstrating how the presence of a bowl of dog food would trigger an unconditioned response. Pavlov then designed an experiment using a bell as a neutral stimulus. As he gave food to the dogs, he rang the bell. Then after repeating this procedure several times, he tried ringing the bell without providing food to the dogs. On its own, an increase in salivation occurred. The result of the experiment was a new condition response in dogs. And so Pavlov's theory later developed into what is called today classical conditioning, which refers to learning that associates a, an unconditioned stimulus that already results in a response, such as a reflex, with a new conditioned stimulus. As a result, the new stimulus brings about the same response. And so how does this apply to us as, as human beings, of course? Well, a simple application of Pavlovian theory is the response that some consumers have when they hear the word sale. <laughs> it can generate an urge to shop, especially if it says 50% off, 70% off. Even if people have no specific need at the time, they will still shop. It is a response to a stimulus. And so the theory can work also uh, with specific brands. For instance, a consumer may start associating a brand name or product with a certain perception after repeated marketing efforts and or experience with the brand or product. For instance, many people associate the brand name Neutrogena with purity and clear skin. I mean, the marketing companies have done a great job at repeating this over and over and over through subliminal messaging, through direct messaging, through consistent messaging. Coca-Cola is, is a classic example, of course, of a brand that has used this technique successfully for years. Coca-Cola's marketing campaigns associate various activities and environmental factors like sports, dehydration, and heat with their product. So then the cold Coke has now become the, the, the signal for the arrival of heat, thirst, and, and uh, sports. And so when you spot a red poster of a big glass filled with sparkly, bubbly cola on ice, you automatically get thirsty and feel the urge to purchase one for yourself. There are so many different examples that I could mention to you today on classical conditioning. The last one that I'll mention is uh, is very simple. Have you ever been to a restaurant where uh, perhaps what you ate was undercooked? Let's say it was 
you know, chicken and it was undercooked and it made you sick to the stomach or it could have been anything else. And it made you sick to the stomach. You got home and, you know, threw up, you maybe had a, a, you know, a stomach ache and, and it put you out for several hours. And so now every time you drive by that restaurant, just by looking at the restaurant, you have the same feeling in your stomach. It makes you feel queasy, nauseated. Uh, there's a disgust in you and you just would never, ever go back to that restaurant to eat that food because of what happened. So there was a stimulus and, of course, a response. And so that's how classic uh, conditioning works. It's almost like creating a new trail in a forest. How do you create a new trail? Well, you walk over that trail all the time. Eventually, over time, nothing grows on that trail. The, 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 the land in that area erodes and it creates a rut. Other people will walk over that trail. It's the same thing with the mind. You've got a certain trail, a, a connection that was already created, but people out there are trying to cause you to create a new trail, a new connection that leads you to a totally different destination. And the more you walk over that trail, in other words, the more you think about that one idea over and over and over, it will become the trail that you always go to or that you always use that takes you to a specific destination. And so once again, this is why it's so important to guard our hearts and the hearts of our children. And how do we do that? Well, we, we become gatekeepers, gatekeepers of that mind because the mind is a gateway to the heart. And how do we guard the mind? Well, we have to be very vigilant uh, regarding what we listen to, what we watch, because that will influence our mind. You know, Gandhi once said, never let anyone with dirty feet walk through your mind. And yet, you know, sometimes we're not aware enough or conscious enough to understand that we are sometimes or many times allowing people with dirty feet to walk through our mind, trying to, to establish or to create new ruts, new trails in our mind, new connections. We are definitely living in a different season, you know, in our world, in our, particularly in our nation today. And as I, as I look at all of the, um, everything happening around us, I'm reminded of uh, a scripture out of Isaiah 5 verse 20 that says, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and that sweet is bitter. In other words, what used to be called good is now called bad. What used to be called bad is now called good. What used to not be acceptable is now acceptable. And so Again, over time, as this idea or ideas are repeated to us, we will eventually become desensitized to them. We won't see anything wrong with them, and they will become part of our normal. As adults, we have, we have a will. We choose what we want to believe. We choose if we want to do our own research, if we want to look into things a little deeper, or if we just want to accept things. I mean, we, we have that option. Children, of course, they pretty much function, as I mentioned, from 0 to 11, they pretty much accept everything without a filter. Uh, whatever's going in is, is going in as uh, deposited into their minds, as money is being deposited into a bank account. Eventually, whatever you deposit is what you will withdraw. And so they really don't have a filter. Everything is just going straight into the subconscious mind, and eventually, as they grow grow up as they're older, they will function off of what they have been taught. And so we have to be quick to reroute. We have to be quick to reteach, uh, help them unlearn and relearn. We have to teach them. If we are, if you are a believer as I am, teach them the word of God every
every day and help them develop a biblical worldview. They're constantly being bombarded with stimuli generated to influence their thoughts, emotions, and ultimately alter uh, their behavior in one way or another. Although we attend to much of the information that comes in directly and process it consciously, some messages are carefully crafted, intended to slip through undetected, to be interpreted at the unconscious level where their influence can bring about changes in our values that are meaningful and lasting. I'm not going to harp on public school curriculum right now and what uh, is being taught, but I would encourage you if you are a parent, I would truly encourage you to look into the curriculum and to see what is being taught. I mean, let's let's keep this in mind and keep this in perspective. Your children are in a classroom with a teacher for at least eight hours a day. Think about it. When they come home, some of them go to after-school care. Some of them have after-school activities, uh, extracurricular activities. They, they go home. By the time they get home, they go straight to taking a shower, doing their homework, having dinner, maybe, maybe, maybe spending spending about 35, 40 minutes with you as a parent, you know, not really in deep conversation, just uh, asking how their day went, Uh, maybe uh, spending time with them, you know, playing some games, doing some things, who knows, but you really don't spend a whole lot of deep conversation with them. Perhaps over the weekend you do, but, but think about it. The kids are spending more time with their educators than they're spending time with you. I mean, meaningful time, meaningful time with their educators. And so who has the greater influence? I mean, think about it. Who has the greater influence? The educator does. The school does. The school system does. Ken Ham once said that the enemies of Christ have learned over time that the best way to exercise their power of influence in the lives of children is through education. The atheist strategy says, allow religion to train them up and we will educate them to despise the beliefs that were taught through their parents. Dr. Glenn Schultz in his book, Kingdom Education, shared a story about a college professor that told one of his uh, freshman students, a female student, to stop asking so many questions. He said, you are here to listen and to learn. You have been indoctrinated for 18 years of your life by your parents and your church, and we only have four years to undo the damage that has been caused. I mean, Karl Marx once said, freedom of education shall be enjoyed under the condition fixed by law and under the supreme control of the state. Vladimir Lenin said, give me four years to teach the children and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. Joseph Stalin said, education is a weapon whose effect depends on who holds it in his hands and at whom it is aimed. Adolf Hitler said, let me control the textbooks and I will control the state. Horace Mann, the father of public education in the U.S., once said, we who are engaged in the sacred cause of education are entitled to look upon all parents, listen, to look upon all parents as having given hostages to our cause. Come on, need I give you more examples? You know, the education of our children has been entrusted to us by God. If you're a believer, you know this. Actually, when you look at Old Testament Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19, when it, God is telling us about teaching the word of God to our children, it says, teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, God is telling us, 
We've got to teach the Word of God to our children 24-7, 365 days a year. We cannot put their minds and their hearts in the hands of individuals that we have no idea, we have no clue what their intent is and what they are teaching them, especially Especially, listen, if it is not in alignment with the biblical principles in which you believe. Chuck Swindoll, in his book, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity, he explains how in ancient times, people would build walls around a city for protection. At important junctures in the wall, they would build tall towers to provide strategic locations from which an advancing enemy could be seen, could be spotted and located. When a city was under attack, military strategists would be assigned to these towers to direct the city's defense against the enemy. So anyone who wanted to capture the city, they knew that the important thing was to capture the military strategists and render the city defenseless. And so renewing one's mind, described by Paul, is a spiritual battle. In this battle, we must, by God's power, scale the walls, in other words, the strongholds of tradition, of our minds, and ascend the towers, the human arguments, and capture each and every thought those military strategists of our minds. It is our thoughts that must be taken captive to Christ or God's word. In other words, we must take all of our thoughts about every aspect of life and allow them to be scrutinized by the keen eye of God's word. When our thoughts and ideas do not line up with scripture, these thoughts must be recognized as disobedient and cast out of our minds immediately before they take possession. History outlines a number of examples of the power that can be exercised or harnessed through mind control. As the saying goes, the pen is mightier than the sword. And it truly is. Words have a profound and powerful effect on the human psyche. And they are capable of inspiring or influencing people to accomplish the extraordinary. They can also be used deceptively to manipulate and to maneuver the human emotion and create dangerous group thinking that can bring about, uh, you know, bring people together to to commit horrific acts of uh, depravity, violence, and uh, destruction. Those that are interested in molding and shaping the minds of individuals clearly understand that this is done best even before the individual starts to speak at that early of an age. And so these, let's call them social engineers, clearly understand that the younger the individual is when his or her moral values are established the higher the probability will be that those uh, changes or those influence will stand the test of time and end up directing attitudes and behavior throughout the lifespan, actually causing future generations to also abide to this type of mindset or psychology. The endless number of experiences that uh, influence, mold, and shape our developing minds is quite infinite. And we're constantly processing information to try to make sense of this complex world that we are living in, even when we're not engaged in conscious, purposeful thought processes. And so advertisers, they, they connect with or consult with psychologists, believe it or not, hoping to design ads, commercials, and displays that will engage consumers and convince them 
to acquire certain products or to engage in certain platforms online like Facebook that has, uh, there's a whole psychology behind the scrolling and how those videos play without even prompting them. There is a psychology of influence behind it that causes you to become engaged and almost to a point of being enslaved to it. Various stimuli can also be used to invoke strong physiological responses, as I mentioned earlier, like hunger, like thirst, you know, with the Coca-Cola products, or or simply elicit powerful emotions that influence our decisions and ultimately determine our actions. It's that simple. You see, a massive and and constant growing uh, body of mainstream research has emerged over the past few decades that is focused on these aspects of cognition, moral development, and social psychology. And meanwhile, Cognitive studies investigating the mechanisms used for social engineering are also being funded privately and conducted in secret. You see, the knowledge gained from this type of research is, in essence, the, listen, the weaponry being used in the war for your worldview. And let's just be clear, the worldview that's under attack isn't yours. Come on, I'm 50 years old. It's not my worldview that's under attack. It's the worldview of our children. It's the worldview of our grandchildren. And it's our responsibility to guard their hearts above all else because, according to Scripture, it will determine the trajectory. It will determine the course of their lives. And yes, I can get very passionate when talking about education and Christian education in particular, uh, biblical worldview. I've been an educator for close to 30 years. However, I've been a Christian educator for a little over 20 years. I've been leading a Christian school for for the past uh, 13 years. And so I'm very passionate about this. The reason I don't don't retire from what I do in, in Christian education is because of my passion and my dedication. And so I am always going to be the spokesperson for uh, Christian education, biblical worldview. Why? Because the very first years are fundamental in the development of that child. Listen, education should not jeopardize the moral and spiritual development of the next generation of our children. It shouldn't. And if you are going to delegate your responsibility of educating your children, if you're going to delegate that responsibility or pass it on to someone else, that someone else that you're delegating it to should be in complete alignment with the biblical principles that you believe in. Because children will eventually develop a worldview or a set of beliefs, a belief system that reflects the belief system of the teacher. Jesus said in Luke 640, he said, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. I know a young man who was exposed to the gospel in his home uh, by his parents at church, by his pastors and youth leaders. He was, he was even a student in a Christian school. He didn't start uh, his Christian education early in preschool. He started later in, in, in the uh, upper elementary years. So this young man was exposed to the gospel. However, he had a, a, a gift for uh, playing the guitar. He was, he was very uh, musically talented. Uh, 
And so the parents hired him a tutor that he met with for a couple of hours every other day. And this teacher was a a phenomenal classic guitar uh, teacher, instructor. And so they would spend a couple of hours uh, every other day in a small chamber in 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 a music academy. Well, he idolized this this teacher because of his talent. He became his his uh, hero in a sense because he was a musician. This young man aspired to be a a great classic guitarist, and so he idolized this one professor to the point that uh, everything that this instructor shared with him was uh, taken into his mind as truth, and so. This teacher was an atheist, and as he strummed the chords of his guitar, as he taught him how to play these classical pieces, he would share his philosophy of life. He would share his worldview with this young man, and because this young man idolized this, this individual, and because his parents did not have that great of an influence on his life, well, the influence of this instructor was so, was so uh, profound that this young man, over the years, he developed an atheistic uh, worldview. And to this day, he is uh, is a young adult. And to this day, he has renounced uh, God. He has uh, refused to believe the biblical principles that were taught to him uh, in his life as a child. Dr. Glenn Schultz once said, you can never erase the influence of a teacher. A child's social environment influences their cognitive development and educational attainment. It will also forge their future. Look, let me. I, I want to wrap up this uh, this episode with with a story out of uh, the Bible. There was a a young man in the Bible. His name is Mephibosheth. Now, I want to kind of paint a picture for you so you can understand who this young man is. You don't hear about him a whole lot at church. Actually, his name is only mentioned, I believe, once or twice, perhaps in the Bible. And so this is Old Testament. Mephibosheth was the the son of Jonathan, the grandson of King Saul. Uh, As you know, King Saul uh, was the king that preceded... um, David. And so David and Jonathan were best friends. As you know, King Saul had it out for for David uh, because he knew he had been anointed by Samuel to be the king. And so there you have uh, kind of a little bit of the history. And so after many years, you know, King Saul and his son Jonathan go out to war. And as they are fighting the opposing army, they they lose the battle. And so they're defeated. They die in the process, both uh, the father and the son, the king and the prince, they die. And so during that time, when when the, the uh, king was taken out and uh, they would go and obliterate the whole family so as to... Um, delete the uh, future generations. And so uh, upon upon hearing about what had happened, uh, the people who were living in the, the let's call it the royal palace, uh, upon hearing uh, that the king and the prince were dead, they immediately, you know, started taking what they could. The servants were trying to salvage the other family members. And in that process, the the nurse or the nanny who was taking care of uh, Mephibosheth, who happened to be Jonathan's son, uh, who he was he was a toddler. The nanny took Mephibosheth in her arms, knowing that the other army was going to come and try to kill the child, and so she took the child and she ran. 
She ran to a place called Lodabar. She knew that the army would not go out there and try and find her there. So she fled to this place called Lodabar, which which means a place of desolation or desolate place. It was a place where the poor lived, uh, the sick, uh, the the destitute, the, the people that had been singled out from society. They lived out there. And so she runs with Mephibosheth in her arms and in the process she falls and lands on top of Mephibosheth. And the Bible says that he becomes crippled of both legs. So now Mephibosheth is, uh, is crippled. And so years later, I'm talking about, you know, years, uh, perhaps 15, you know, or so years, David is now the king. He takes over and he's now the king. He's ruling and reigning over that region. And so he, um, finds it in his heart that he wants to bless anyone who was left from the house of Saul, King Saul. Now, he didn't know if anyone had survived what had happened back then, but he wants to bless anyone who is left, and he wants to do it in his best friend's memory, uh, in Jonathan's memory. And so he tells his servant, he says, hey, Seba, he says, would you go and see if there's anyone left from the house of Saul? And, and so Seba says, well, no one was left, uh, Lord. Remember back then, you know, everyone was, was killed. And he says, no, I want you to go out and see if there's anyone that has been left. And so he goes and he does his his research. He goes out there and he scouts the area and he comes back and he says, indeed, I found someone who was left from the house of Saul. He says, it's actually Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. He says, really? He says, well, bring him to me. He says, he lives in Lodabar. And at that point, Mephibosheth was already a young adult. He himself had a family that he had started. And remember, he had been living there for a long time and and he was crippled of both legs. And so Mephibosheth is brought before the king. Now, nobody knows how that happened. They wheeled him in. They carried him in because he couldn't walk. So they brought him over to the king. And the Bible says that Mephibosheth uh, fell to his his hands and knees onto the ground and before the king, almost like in 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 a in a in a, a position of submission, and the king says, uh, you know, Mephibosheth. And, and so Mephibosheth says to him, Lord, who am I but a dead dog that you would call me to your presence? And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he does call himself, according to scripture, he calls himself a dead dog. Now, now think about it for just a moment. Why would he call himself a dead dog? We're, we're talking about a guy who had royal blood flowing through his veins. He grew up, part of his years, he spent in the royal palace. His grandfather was the king, the great King Saul. His, his brother or his father was Jonathan, King David's best friend. I mean, come on. Wouldn't you think that for a moment he would have a little bit of a sense of dignity, that his self-esteem wouldn't be as warped? Well, let me tell you, I want to talk to you about influence once again. The kid grew up in a place called Lodabar. He grew up in a place called Place of Desolation, Desolate Place. It was a place, as I mentioned, that was full of sick people, people who were were destitute, okay, people who had been who had been uh, kicked out of society, and so he grew up in an environment. And this environment, because of the repetition, because of his exposure to this environment, Mephibosheth developed a warped mindset. His mindset or his worldview was influenced by his environment. He was influenced by the people that surrounded him, influenced by the people that he exposed his mind to. And so over the years, he completely forgot his true identity. So what does that have to do with this episode? A lot. (laughs) It It has to do with a lot of what I've been talking about. I want you to understand your children 
Their minds are malleable. They are pliable. They are easily influenced. So my question to you is, in whose hands will you place their minds? And who will you allow to walk through their minds? It is a time to wake up, parents. It is a time to realize, once again, that there is a war, a cultural war, waging against the minds and hearts of our children. As a parent and grandparent that I am, I'm not interested in seeing my children attend Ivy League schools or buy the biggest house or drive the fastest sports car or gain popularity on social media or in this world. My only goal, my only goal, my only desire is to see them grow up and become men and women of God that glorify him and him alone. And so then I will say, as John the Apostle said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. All right. Well, there you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope it was informative, transformational, and eye-opening. Parents, I hope that you've uh, gained a lot more knowledge today to help you pivot in the event that you need to do so. If you're a future parent, I hope it helps you plan on how to educate your children with a biblical frame of reference, with a biblical worldview. I'm going to attach my information to the show notes, my Instagram, my YouTube uh, channel, and also my link uh, for uh, counseling sessions or coaching sessions in the event that you were interested in in setting one. And, uh, and please don't hesitate to send me a DM through Instagram if you have any questions or concerns, or if you live in the RGV and would like to uh, enroll your children in Christian education, hey, hit me up. I will give you the grand tour. <laughs> I will show you the way around and share what we do and how we do things at our school. God bless you guys. I love you in Christ. And as we say in Spanish, les mando un abrazo. <laughs>